Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast here at Skywatcher. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, the What's Up webcast takes place every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific right here on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, we go over everything that has to do with astronomy from equipment to what's up in the nighttime sky to imaging techniques and pretty much anything else that we want to cover. Um, these are live at the time of recording, uh, but if you miss it or you want to go back and watch something, uh, they are recorded and saved on our YouTube channel, so you can go back and check it out at any time that works for you. Um, if you are joining us again, welcome back. Happy Friday. We're glad to have you here. Uh, this week we're talking about imaging filters and when to use them. And the reason for this topic is we had a lot of people last year when we did our imaging filter um, episode, which you can see right here on the screen, uh, they were really interested in the science of how filters worked. And we discussed that in this previous episode that you see there on the screen. And if you missed it or you want to know about what bandpass is and wavelengths and all that terminology that you want to know when looking at filters, we cover that in that episode. Um, but, and a lot of, um, I'm sorry, a lot of what we talked about in that episode uh, will be applied to today. So if there's some things that you might not met, understand or maybe you missed, uh, that would be the episode to check out if you want to know more of the backstory about filters and their types. Uh, but when we did that episode, we had a lot of people asking, well, how do I know when to use that particular filter? Um, so that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we did a visual um, on that, a uh, uh, visual version of this last week, um, and now we're doing the imaging side. Um, Steve, we can look into making a PDF of it. Um, Things are really busy and chaotic right now, so I don't know if we'll get around to that, but that's a, a good idea. I appreciate your feedback on it. So uh, let's get started. Um, of course, real quick, if you uh, enjoy uh, watching our What's Up webcast, we are about to release our schedule for February um, as well as March. We've got some really cool people lined up. Um, next week, we're going to be talking to our friends from Star Arizona. We're going to talk about the stuff that they make, like the Hyperstar and the Apex Reducer, which works on our Esprits. And I think we're releasing, or they are releasing something new that uh, works on Skywatcher Telescope. So we're going to have uh, Steve Koenig and Scott Tucker from Star Arizona with us next Friday. So you want to see that because there's going to be some cool uh, hardware that they're going to be showing off. Um, but again, if you like our what we do here at the What's Up webcast, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. It keeps you up to date with what's happening and the new episodes and any other new content we put on our page will be available and you'll be notified there. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up webcast and we'll, we'll be happy to help you with that. All right, so let's get started. Uh, the first question, of course, is why filters? Um, now, for visual use, that's probably a better question, but for imaging, it's probably one of the major questions that comes up quite a bit, and that's why we want to dig into uh, what we're talking about here. So the real reason we use filters, especially for imaging, is a wide, a wide range of different things. So number one, it reduces light pollution in your images. 
and I think many of us can relate. We're probably shooting from our backyard or in a moderately dark sky that's still got some light pollution, so filters can aid with that. Uh, it blocks unwanted wavelengths from like street lights while passing ideal wavelengths from the objects that we're looking to photograph. Um, it also allows color images to be produced. If you're using a black and white camera, you'll need a set of filters that allow you to produce a nice color image. And it can also isolate uh, desired wavelengths of light. So if there's a particular wavelength that your object is emitting or is visible in, using that particular uh, a filter that isolates those wavelengths will help bring that out a little bit more. And it can also be used for kind of science work. Uh, as well. So there's a bunch of reasons in astrophotography that we use filters um, and it's it's really a major uh, topic of discussion in astrophotography is what filters should I get for what um, and that's what we're going to kind of discuss here. Now there's a lot of different filters that we need to cover today so we're going to kind of break them up into categories. So when it comes to filters you know what are we looking at? So the first major one that we hear about is light pollution. Uh, you probably know them as LPS filters, light pollution suppression. Um, there's a bunch of other names that uh, companies will use, but light pollution, these are broadband filters. So they're letting a wide range of light through, but blocking other wavelengths. Um, so that is generally light pollution filters. Uh, then you have the luminance, red, green, and blue, LRGB for short. Uh, those are also considered broadband filters because they let a lot of light through, but they're not as specific as a light pollution filter. Um, a light pollution filter, um, I have one here. Yep, there we go. Uh, a light pollution filter like this guy um, allows a broad wavelength, broad sets of uh, light to go through while suppressing very particular wavelengths of light. So that's a light pollution filter there, as opposed to LRGB filters, which pass very specific wavelengths and they do block certain wavelengths, but they're more tuned to allowing certain color frequencies to go through. So, and we'll get into the details here in a minute about all of that. Uh, and then of course we have narrow band and narrow band filters uh, very similar to a broadband are very specific filters. Um, they are designed to pass one very tight wavelength of light, usually only one particular wavelength. So they're very specific to whatever frequency you're looking to get. Um, that is a narrow band filter and they're usually uh, tuned to one particular wavelength of light that you're looking to to hit and we'll talk about those so those are kind of the three major filter categories for imaging and that's what we're going to work within today are those three categories kind of explaining them so the first one is light pollution filters um, light pollution filters are very very common uh, the reason for these filters are to reduce unwanted wavelengths of light uh, generally produced by street lights and you want to block um, that light because it's going to interfere with your images and probably give a lot more glare but it, we also want to pass the light that we are seeing in uh, 
from our celestial object. So uh, if you guys excuse me one quick, there's a filter I wanted to show you. I just don't have it with me. So bear with me one second. Sorry about that. I I thought I had this filter um, already with me, but I didn't have it close enough. So, but it's one I wanted to talk about because it's one I'm trying. Um, so put that there. So yeah, light pollution filters. Uh, they are blocking certain wavelengths of light and allowing other wavelengths of light uh, to pass through. So uh, those. It basically allows you to improve contrast on your object of choice. Um, this is really ideal for color cameras like DSLRs or mirrorless cameras, uh, as well as one-shot color CMOS and CCD cameras, because they're letting all the frequencies through, all the colors of the rainbow are coming through and hitting that sensor. Um, but it's going to be picking up all the colors as well. So there's a lot of lights excuse me, like street lights um, are allowing certain wavelengths to come through and they are severely interfering with our images. So we need to be able to get rid of that, but we still wanna see the cool things in our image. So as I said, they're best used with color cameras. Uh, they reduce uh, light, generally from street lights, and they can be used with all types of objects as well. So galaxies, nebulas, star clusters, um, it's really uh, a wide variety of targets you can use this on. Um, it's kind of an assistant if you can't get to dark skies, it can help a little bit, but it will never ever make up going to a dark sky location. But it can be helpful to at least, if you're in the backyard, it can give you a little extra boost um, to get something out of your images um, with it. Now, here's some of the filters that I've used and I recommend. You have the Astronomic makes the CLS and CLS CCDs. Botter makes Moon and Sky Glow. Um, they have a contrast booster as well. Uh, Chroma makes their Low Glow filter, um, which I've got right here. Um, a lot of these are very similar. When you look at their charts, they're blocking and passing very similar light. It's just kind of depending on what exactly um, they're all a little bit different, but for the most part, they're pretty similar. Um, IDAS has D1, D2, and P2 filters. You'll have to look at the variations of those as well. Uh, one of those, I can't remember, I want to say it's the D2, uh, helps with LED lights, which is a little bit more helpful. Um, and then the filter that I disappeared for is uh, one I'm messing with. This is a 82-millimeter uh, uh, Nisi Natural Night filter. Um, this is made to be used with uh, DSLR lenses or mirrorless camera lenses. It's it's just it's basically a thread-on front filter for a camera lens, but it's a light pollution filter specifically for that. And the shot that you see to the uh, right-hand side of the screen is a test shot that I did from my backyard. I think it's only like 10 minutes worth of exposure with a 100 to 400 lens and real basic tracking. But this is an unmodified camera as well. You can see that Orion, 
right here. You've got the Orion Nebula, the Running Man, Horsehead and Flame, and if you look close up here, you have M78. That was shot from my backyard, which is a fairly light polluted location. Um, normally, the sky would look really yellow or brownish in the image, but when I added the natural night, it helps knock that out and give you more of a, you know, a more defined night sky, a blacker night sky. So it resembles more of what you would get from a dark sky location. Um, not nearly as good, but it does help because it just, I couldn't get out to a dark sky site. So that's the, if you're shooting with a DSLR or mirrorless camera and you need a filter for it, uh, the Nisi Natural Night um, is a good option there, uh, right there. This is the 82 millimeter. They make them in all different sizes. So that's something I've been playing around with um, and have been pretty impressed with. Um, of course, you also have the Optolong L Pro and then the Thousand Oaks LP1 are, are all good options there. So those are just some of the recommendations I have for light pollution filters. Uh, I know there's probably others that I missed but those are the ones that I've tried and messed around with, and they all do a very nice job um, regardless of who you get them from. So good things to check out there. Now the next set of filters are LRGB filters. And LRGB uh, is really um, what allows those shooting with black and white or monochrome cameras to produce a color image. Now on a color camera, it has little filters called the bear matrix that sit over each pixel. And you have red pixels, blue pixels, green pixels. Those are collecting light and that inherently makes your color image. Now, um, with a monochrome camera, because all the pixels are the same, they have no bear matrix in front of the pixels they're all collecting the same amount of light. Now the advantage of that is you're getting a lot more sensitivity out of it because all the pixels are working all together. Um, so if you put a red filter in there, it's only gonna let red um, pixels get activated where on a monochrome, all of them are getting activated regardless of the filter. And we discuss a little bit more of that in our uh, episode about kind of the fil imaging filter episode from last year. If you want to learn about that, you can check that out. Um, uh, Steve, real quick, uh, we're going to talk about the L Extreme here in a little bit. So we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, but when you're shooting with a monochrome camera, if you want to shoot color images, you actually need to have an LRGB or at least an RGB filter set. So um, right over here, um, I'm gonna have examples of each filter. Uh, this was taken from our new remote observatory um, that we're gonna be talking about next month, next month or March. Um, we'll be talking about that in March. Um, but these are images from our new remote observatory telescope. Um, so what's nice is I'm gonna have actual examples of the filters and what they do. So. The first one in the series, LRGB, L stands for luminance, and this is usually a UVIR pass filter, very basic filter. Um, it's passing all the visible wavelengths um, and allowing it to hit the sensor. And this normally is where you would get all your detail from in your color image when using a monochrome camera. So you take a bunch of luminance data, it builds up the detail in the image, and then you would apply the color on top of that to get the color. So this is a luminance shot, five minutes um, of M42 and the Running Man. 
in the luminance filter. And if you watch for a second, I'm gonna change the slide as we talk about red, watch as the details change um, between the two filters. So if you wanna go back and forth there, you can see uh, there's, there's luminance, there's red. You can see a lot of the detail um, in the Running Man switches. Uh, the red filter is exactly what it sounds like. It pass passes, uh, can't talk, passes red wavelengths of light while suppressing the rest. So it gives you your, your red channel to produce that color image. Next, you have your green channel. You can see there's some of the detail changed. The green channel is gonna let red or green light pass and it's gonna block all the rest giving you the green channel. And then finally we have blue. And yes, if you've ever shot Orion recently, there's a ton of satellites in the area. So that's what all these crazy streaks are, are satellites. Um, these are just five minute basic stretched images um, of Orion off of an Esprit 150 uh, triplet refractor. So, uh, and this would be the blue channel. So that gives you all four channel, red, green, blue, is gonna give you your color, and then the luminance is gonna give you the overall structure inside the image. So, kind of neat there. So, let's show an example real quick. Um, a lot of these image, images, again, are taken off of our remote observatory system. Um, this is in a Bortle II class sky. It's an Esprit 150. It's using 50 millimeter chroma filters, and it has currently, on it, we switch the cameras off depending what we want to try out. But right now we're using a ZWO ASI 6200mm uh, camera. So all these are shot off of that system at the moment. Uh, so here's our luminance shot of M78. Uh, this is up in the Orion Nebula. Now this is going to be our overall structure of the image, but now we need to colorize it. So after that, we go through and we shoot red. So you can see there that the changing of the two filters right there, there's luminance, there's red. And then after red, I'm gonna go ahead and shoot green. And you can see there between the difference between red and green. And then finally we need blue. Um, so there's blue versus green. Now blue and green are fairly similar, so the color difference is gonna be minor, but there is different details that will pop up. So at that point, we're gonna go into our processing, stack all of that, and getting our final colorized shot um, there. So that's the luminance data with the RGB data all applied on top, giving you your final colorized natural light image of M78, so pretty neat. That's about nine hours of exposure time um, showing the final shot there. Might be a little saturated, but you know, you can always mess around with that. So what's the purpose of the LRGB filters and when do you use them? Um, these are used primarily for monochrome cameras and allows you to produce color images like we just saw the shot right here that we just saw. And these can be used on any target. So I know we're kind of approaching this a little differently about what objects you're gonna be using these on, but LRGB filters are used on galaxies, nebulas, star clusters, what have you. Um, they are used um, to produce those images of 
for for a monochrome camera to produce a color image. It works on all of them, uh, all different objects to get that image. Uh, these don't block light pollution. Um, I mean, I guess in a way they do, but they are not specifically designed to block certain wavelengths as far as light pollution is concerned. Um, they are focused on passing certain wavelengths of light um, at that point. So uh, the, the luminance filter passes all the visible light. Red is only passing red. Green is only passing green. And blue is only passing blue. But there are light pollution uh, wavelengths that are within that that these filters would pass. Um, so... Uh, yes, this was taken over the course of a couple nights. Um, nine hours is quite a bit. Uh, our remote observatory sits in a Bortle 2 sky, so it's extremely dark out there. Um, normally right now we're getting about seven to eight hours of runtime when it's clear. Um, and it's been clear for like the past five nights. So the telescope has been running for five nights in a row all night. It's all automated. So it's, it's kind of a cool system, but you'll see more coming from that system now that it's operational. And we're gonna talk about all that in March with the owner of the facility that this telescope is sitting at and what that facility can offer people. So we have a whole episode talking about remote telescopes and how to go about that coming up in a couple months. So here's my recommended filter sets. Um, there's a lot of really good filters out there, astronomic, is good astrid botter chroma optolong i'm probably missing a couple others but those are the ones you hear about the most all of them will give you a really nice image um they all do pretty much the same thing but it's it's a little bit different uh bill i have a canon 5 dsr it has the capability to take monochrome could i use the camera with color filters that's a really good question while we're on the topic here so Color cameras have the ability to shoot in monochrome, but what that means is it's it's basically just telling the camera to make a black and white image, but the it is in fact still color. Because the sensor itself has the bare matrix, so you have green pixels, red pixels, blue pixels, um, it is still a color sensor, and that's where that is. So... The problem with using color sensors with certain types of filters is certain filters block certain wavelengths. So let's say we put a red filter in front of a color camera like your 5 DSR. The blue pixels and the green pixels will not work. The, the light is blocked. They're not going to pick up anything. So you're losing about probably over two-thirds of the capability of your sensor you're only using the red pixels so that's why we use uh, broadband filters for that because it still allows all three colors to activate um, while suppressing unwanted wavelength so there are new filters coming out that allow you to do similar things to what monochrome does um, and we'll talk about that a little bit but yeah a light pollution filter you know like the Nisi or whatever you're pairing with will work um, with that. But the LRGB filters are basically built into your camera sensor already. Okay, so next up is probably the most complicated set of filters, um, but the ones you hear about the most, these are the narrowband filters. Now, narrowband filters are a very specific set 
of filters, and there's several of them. These isolate very narrow wavelengths of, of light, and they allow you to hone in on certain details inside certain objects, but they're limited on what objects they can be used on because not every object emits light in that particular frequency. So the major types that we hear about in amateur astronomy, of course, are H-alpha, H-beta, oxygen-3 or O-3, uh, sulfur-2 or S-2, nitrogen-2 or N-2. Now, out of the, there are some other ones, but these are kind of the top five that I've seen and worked with. But the three that you hear about the most um, used by people is H-alpha, oxygen-3, and sulfur. And this is pretty popular because that's what's used on the Hubble Space Telescope. It gives you what's called the Hubble Palette. Um, those are the three narrowband filters of choice uh, for them. And you see a lot of those being used in amateur telescopes as well. Those are the major three narrowband filters. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. Um, now, there is a new filter type that's kind of come out in the last three to four years. Uh, those are the multi-band, narrow-band filters. Uh, you're probably seeing them a lot, like the Radian Triads, the L-Extreme, the L-Enhance. Uh, there's a couple others out there. Uh, but those filters are also narrow-band filters, and we're going to talk about what those offer here in a little bit um, on those. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. So narrow band filters, like I said, they pass a very narrow wavelength of light um, and they block all other wavelengths. And the three most popular wavelengths, which I said earlier, are H-alpha, S2, and O3. Now, I also mentioned that there's also H-beta and nitrogen 2. Uh, the reason why you don't see H-beta used a lot in astrophotography purposes is because H-alpha uh, and H-beta are going to show you the exact same detail in the nighttime sky. The problem, however, is H-alpha sits way in the red part of the spectrum, and that's usually far and away from much of the light pollution frequencies that are occurring as well. H-beta sits in more of the green bluish part of the spectrum so the cameras are generally more sensitive in the red part of the spectrum so h alpha is going to give you a much stronger signal while h beta is going to give you a lesser signal and you have to start worrying about light pollution interfering because a lot of it is in that same frequency as well so h beta is generally only used for very specific needs and you can get them. I know Botter makes an H-beta filter, um, maybe some others, but there's not a lot of need for an H-beta because H-alpha handles all of that and also excels at handling that as well. Um, the other filter I was talking about, nitrogen-2 or N2, uh, those filters, I only know of two companies that make them, Chroma and Astrodon, and they're probably custom filters at this point. Uh, N2 is generally wedged right up against H-alpha. And if you pay attention to the band pass of a filter, and if you don't know what band pass is, uh, you need to go watch our previous imaging filter episode. 
Uh, when you look at the side of a filter, or when you're buying one, like this one right here, I don't know if you can see it right there, but it says 6.5 nanometer on it. Now, when you go to buy a narrowband filter for imaging, it'll say the band pass. It's normally whatever NM or nanometer, and that's your band pass. Now, the smaller that number is, the narrower the band pass is, and the tighter that filter is tuned for that particular wavelength of light. The, the narrowest set of filters you can generally get in amateur hands is three nanometer. Um, that's generally made by Chroma, or uh, Astrodon, there's some other ones that are coming on the market that are really narrow like that. Um, but with that being said, N2 or nitrogen 2 and H alpha are so close together on the spectrum that if you're using a five nanometer or wider filter, it actually encompasses both of those bands of light. So N2 and H alpha are so close that if you have a five nanometer filter or broader, it's it's getting both of those frequencies in one filter. Now, when you step down to three nanometer H alpha, it actually clips off uh, N2 and you don't see it. Now, some of you might be asking, what do I get out of N2? Uh, N2 is really something that's uh, visible in planetary nebulas. So if you had a real interest in shooting planetaries and planetary nebulas and certain details, then having an N2 filter might be something of interest. But that means that you would have to have a, a 3 nanometer hydrogen alpha and a 3 nanometer N2 filter um, to split those two apart. It can add for some interesting details, but it's generally not something that people tend to go to. So that's why you don't see a lot of people using N2 filters. Uh, they are available, but that means you have to spend uh, quite a bit of money on a, a narrow H alpha, H alpha filter. And then you obviously have to buy a very narrow N2 filter as well. So that's why you don't see N2 or H beta. Now, the other two wavelengths that are common, of course, are sulfur 2 or S2 and oxygen 3, also known as O3. Those are the three narrowband filters that you see the most. Now, the reason that we use these particular wavelengths is those are frequencies that are emitted by a lot of the emission nebulas in the nighttime sky. Some galaxies have what are called H2 regions. Those are red star-forming regions. Uh, they're, they look, they're actually nebulas um, in galaxies. So like M101 or M33, M31 has some as well. They've got like a peppering of this, these little star-forming regions. They look like bright uh, red or pinkish regions if you, use a, uh, if you see an image of those and someone dusts a little bit of H-alpha into the image. Um, H-alpha can be helpful when shooting certain galaxies to bring out those star-forming regions. But S2 and O3 are pretty much useless when it comes to galaxies, and they're focused more on emission nebulas, um, like what you see up there with the Horsehead and Orion. And like I said, that's best suited uh, for particularly emission nebulas. Um, Narrowband filters like this are particularly used for monochrome cameras. Uh, like we said before, if you're using a color camera, it has red, green, and blue pixels. 
if we were to take this sulfur 2 filter, which I've got right here, this only allows a very particular wavelength of red light to pass through it. If you put this on a color camera, it will block all the light except that one frequency. And because it's in the red part of the spectrum, only the red sensor, uh, pixels are going to get used. So you're throwing out over two-thirds of the capability of your sensor because you're only activating those red pixels. So generally, or, uh, narrowband filters like H-alpha, O3, and S2 are typically used on monochrome cameras because it doesn't really matter what color is passing through the filter. All the pixels are being used evenly all the time. And there's a new remedy for that for color cameras, which we'll get to in just a second. When my There we go. So again, off of our remote observatory here, I'm going to disappear from up here in the, just so we can see all of it. So this is the Orion Nebula, the most famous nebula in the nighttime sky. It is an emission nebula, so it's very active. It has a lot of signal in all three wavelengths that we're talking about. So you have H-alpha, O3 in the center, and S2. And you can see the differences in the detail that come out when you're looking at these different uh, wavelengths. And you can combine these to make your Hubble palette image or whatever kind of color combo that you want to assign to get your cool image. Um, but these filters are primarily used for emission nebulas. And that's just because these type of objects emit light in those frequencies that are beneficial for using those filters. And as you can see, there's certain particular details that come out in each filter to kind of make it unique um, to isolate. So you're basically doing chemistry um, with these filters. You're seeing what double ionized oxygen is doing, sulfur, as well as H-alpha. You're seeing the differences between what's going on there and those wavelengths of light. Uh, now, if you were to put these filters on like a galaxy or star cluster, it really wouldn't do anything because the stars emit light in those frequencies, but maybe the details like the galaxy arms or the dust in a nebula around like the Pleiades, they don't emit light in that frequency. So the, it won't matter. The filter just block it. So let's kind of break down the three filters that you have here. So H-alpha is the most abundant wavelength um, from nebulas. Pretty much every nebula emits light in hydrogen alpha. So planetary, um, not every nebula, planetary nebulas and emission nebulas will. Um, reflection and dark nebulas won't, nothing will happen with it. They'll just block it. So H alpha, if you're shooting emission, um, is very, very popular. Um, if you like that, generally emission nebulas also emit light in um, oxygen three as well. So um, definitely the O3 would be the second filter that you'd wanna look at if you're looking at narrow band filter sets. Uh, H alpha should be your prime. If you, you have an LRGB filter set and you wanna add a new filter, the H alpha should be number one on your list. Following H alpha should be O3. You can actually blend H-alpha and O3 to make a bicolor image and make some really cool images with just those two color channels, uh, those two filters representing color channels at that point. And then we get to S2, or sulfur. 
Um, there's a lot of people that I see buy these filters. I have two of them myself. We have one in our remote observatory filter wheel. There's not a lot of objects that are really active in sulfur. Um, Orion is one of them. It's bright, it's got a lot going on. So sulfur would be beneficial in there. Um, M16, the bubble. There's a wide variety of objects that have frequencies visible in S2, but there's a lot of other objects that don't. Um, so S2 would be the last narrowband filter I would look at. Um, I don't normally even recommend it unless you're really after taking that Hubble palette style imaging um, where it gives you, if you don't know what the Hubble palette, go, go Google it and check it out. It's just a, when you combine the filters to get a certain coloration on your, your shot, that's what Hubble does where it's kind of green and blue looking. Um, that's called a Hubble palette. And that's just how you combine the three channels, HA, O3, and S2, into your RGB channels. So you assign each one to those colors, and it gives you that palette. Um, but if you want to do that, S2 is required. But just remember that an S2 filter is a narrowband filter, just like HA and O3 is. It's going to cost some money, but it's probably going to be the least used of the three. So just something to think about there. Now let's take those same filters and apply them to a star field. So this is a star field uh, in Orion's belt. And you can see there's not much to be seen there. Um, you know, there's some little dust details here in H-alpha, but O3 and S2, there's really not much going on. So if you're imaging, um, certain objects, and those certain objects would be um, star clusters, reflection nebula, dark nebula, and most of the galaxies. Um, the narrowband filters aren't going to give you anything, with the exception of H-alpha on certain galaxies that have star-forming regions in them. So like I said, M33, M101, um, M31, the Andromeda Galaxy, uh, there's several others, but those have star-forming regions. But there's a lot more galaxies that don't have star-forming regions that are visible. So H-alpha is only beneficial, would be the only narrowband filter to use on galaxies for certain galaxies. For most star, for most star clusters, it's worthless. You're not getting anything. You're just taking pictures of stars. Sure, you'll see the star cluster in there, but... The, it's not emitting any unique detail in H-alpha, so you're just going to see a star field like you would elsewhere. Uh, reflection nebula, like what are visible in the Pleiades cluster, you might get a little bit of detail. There is some nebulosity here um, in H-alpha you can see, so there is a little bit of detail in there, um, but it's mostly reflection. So there's mostly reflection nebula in the H-alpha shot here. So you're missing a lot of the detail there because it just blocks it. It doesn't have the signal in there. O3 and S2 in that same field you can see are completely worthless. There's nothing there that the filters are highlighting. They're blocking all of that. So emission nebulas and planetary nebulas, which are also a type of emission, are what narrowband filters are primarily designed to be used for. So let's look at this star field again. So 
Here's H-alpha of that uh, Orion's Belt star field. This is not far from Orion. So H-alpha, we already know this region doesn't have a lot going for it. Uh, let me pop myself back up here real quick. We already know this region doesn't have anything going for it in O3 or S2 from the previous slide. You saw all three there. There's a little bit of detail, and you can see some of that dust and gas in here, right in here. It's kind of a faint gray area. You can see there's a little bit of detail in H-alpha, but there was nothing in O3 or S2. But that doesn't mean this area isn't interesting. We just know that the filters that we're using do not allow us to see the detail that we want to see. Now this region is really heavy in reflection nebula. So there's dust floating out there that the stars are illuminating. And we need to use visible light filters or broadband filters because it needs to collect that certain wavelength, those broad wavelengths of light to see it. The narrowband filters just don't show us. So let's look at that same star field when we apply the luminance filter um, into it. And it's a massive difference. You can see there's all kinds of stuff floating around. There's um, all kinds of nebula floating around in there. You've got this bunch of nebula. You've got this guy right here, this little guy. There's all kinds of stuff. If we sat there longer and exposed for it longer, you would be able to see more come out. But because it's a reflection nebula, let me pan this back real quick, because it's a reflection nebula, the narrowband filters don't do anything for us. It, there's a little bit there, but we're missing all kinds of detail in that shot. So you can see going back and forth from H-alpha to luminance that there's a fair amount of stuff visible in there, but the narrowbands just aren't helpful with that. There are amazing filters for emission nebulas and planetaries but and some galaxies, but that's where they're going to come in handy. And that's just kind of knowing what you're interested in shooting. So, I mean, there we go. So, recommended filters. Um, Astronomic makes S2... Oh, all of these make the major filters. Um, Astronomic, Astrodon, Botter, Chroma, Optolong. I know there's some other ones out there. They all make H-alpha... O3, S2. Some of them have a variety of band passes available if you want to go narrower. Um, some may have more custom uh, wavelengths like the N2 and H beta if you want that specifically. Um, so that's really what's there. But you should just remember that um, narrower filters are going to restrict more light, but they're going to give you more detail. They're also going to be far more expensive and they're not ideal for color cameras because they're blocking out a wide variety of light. So that's kind of where we're at at that point. Now, there's a lot of um, people right now who are shooting with one-shot color cameras. One-shot color cameras have exploded over the last couple years and they've become much easier to work with and process because the data off of them is so much better as the sensitivity and the chips have gotten better. But that still doesn't answer the issue that narrowband filters have with color cameras by blocking that color out. So how do we deal with that? Well, that's where multi-band narrowband filters come into play. Now, 
the primary issue that people have if they're getting started, they've got a, they generally have a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, or maybe you just got like your 294 one-shot color or your new 2600 one-shot color camera. Um, their color, you want to be able to shoot narrow band from home, but if you put an H-alpha filter in the front of those things, you're going to block all the wavelengths except red, and you're losing all the sensitivity of the chip because you're only using whatever color pixel lights up with the filter you're using. You're wasting that chip. Well, over the last three or four years, these new multi-band narrowband filters have popped onto the market. These are nice because they are narrowband filters. They're passing very select wavelengths of light, but they're doing so to where more or all the pixels on a color sensor are now being used every time. Um, the image over on the right-hand side, that was taken with our EvoGuide 50ED, their little guide scope uh, with the Starazona field flattener and a L-Enhance filter. Um, and it gives you remarkably good, uh, so this is a Starlight Trius 25C one-shot color. Uh, the nice thing about these filters is they're passing multiple wavelengths. They're passing the hydrogen alpha, which we want, so it's uh, allowing the red pixels to light up. It's passing H beta, which is allowing the green and some of the blue to light up. And then it's passing oxygen three, which is also giving you more signal in the green and the blue. So all three colors on your color sensor are now being activated, but because they're narrow band passes, it's giving you the same effect of narrowband um, work. Now, most of these filters pass H-alpha and O3. Some of them pass H-beta, and some of the more advanced ones pass sulfur. Um, you just want to make sure that you're at least getting some of the blue um, in there as well. So this allows one-shot color cameras to be utilized in narrowband work now. And what's convenient is you're shooting it all at once. It's not like you have to do H-alpha and then flip filters and go to O3 and then flip filters and go to S2. You're doing it all in one go, so it's really convenient. Uh, One-shot color cameras with these filters are excellent if you don't have a lot of time to get out an image. You can go out, you can produce a nice shot in a couple hours or one evening, and you can take something home. It's not like you have to wait for another clear night and go out and do it again. So if you know you're limited on time, these multiband narrowband filters are very effective. So you can get shots like this uh, North American shot from your backyard. You can get all those emission nebulas that you dream of doing with a monster monochrome camera. Now you can do it with your one shot color or your DSLR or your mirrorless camera from home. And you can use that on those beautiful emission nebulas that you see up there in the nighttime sky. And they're very, very helpful for light pollution because they're knocking out all the light pollution. Narrow bands are excellent because of how restrictive they are. They are not really letting light pollution in too much um, or at all, depending on the wavelength. So you're able to take amazing shots from the middle of town and you could care less about light pollution. Now, here's the ones that I'm aware of. I know there's other ones on the market. Uh, there's the OPT Radian Triad. There's the Triad Ultra. Um, there's L Enhance and L Extreme from Optolog as well. Uh, those are all the major narrowband filters. Um, 
out there that I'm aware of. I know there's a couple more. I just I can't remember what they are. Um, all of these pass wavelengths that cover the three major wavelengths, except the L extreme. The L extreme is a dual pass. Um, it passes HA and O3. It has no H beta, so your contrast might be a little bit better on that one. But you might need a little bit more exposure time because it is blocking some of the green light. Um, so the green pixels aren't getting used as much. Um, I'm going to get to questions in just a second. Um, we're just about done. These are the ultimate light pollution filters. Um, but you have to remember they are not usable on galaxies. Dark nebula, reflection nebula, and star clusters, they really won't do anything unless you just want a cool shot of a star cluster. Um, but generally it's not going to pass the wavelengths of light that star clusters, if there is a nebula around the star cluster like the Pleiades reflection nebulas, um, an L enhance might do it because it's fairly broad in that wavelength of light, but it's gonna be kind of interesting as far as uh, color balance goes. Um, so anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm gonna get to questions right now, so if you have questions, go ahead and type them up in the chat and we'll get through them. Um, but I really do appreciate you guys uh, being here. I know this was pretty elaborate. This was a fun one to do because of how much detail. And now that we have the observatory running, we're able to talk about stuff and show more examples. So uh, let me get to questions here real quick. Uh, let's see, first ones. Um, let me bring this up a little bit. Uh, what filters do you recommend for one-shot color cameras for different objects? Um, Optolong L-Extreme for tri-narrowband, HFS2. Um, if you're using a one-shot color camera, the filters I probably recommend the most would be, number one, get yourself a light pollution filter, either like the Chroma, a Low Glow, or an L-Pro, or whatever or the CLS CCD from Astronomic, get yourself a generic light pollution filter. And that's gonna be your primary filter to use for galaxies and star clusters and basic visible light targets. Um, now to pair up with that filter, you're also going to wanna to probably get one of these multi-band narrow band filters. So the Optolong L uh, L Enhance is very nice. The L Extreme is a little bit more restrictive um, because it's going to let less light in around O3, um, but that would be a good option. Or you could get the uh, L Enhance. Um, there is also the OPT Radian Triads. Uh, those ones are really interesting because the band pass of those filters is very narrow. Um, some of their band passes are down in the four to three nanometer. So you probably get more contrast out of the Radian filters from OPT, but you're gonna pay for it. So just pay attention to that. So if you're shooting with a one-shot color camera, that's a mirrorless or DSLR camera, you wanna have a light pollution filter and probably one of these multi-band narrow band filters and that would be good for to start for there. Uh, second question here, would these multi-band narrow band filters work with an unmodified DSLR? Yes, you can use these multi-band narrow bands on unmodified cameras. So what happens in a camera body is they have a, it's basically a, a UVIR filter with uh, to cut down some of that. 
Um, they have a filter in front of the sensor inside of a, a mirrorless or DSLR that's blocking UV and IR. Um, but as it gets into the red, it kind of dips down a little bit. So like the signal in H-alpha is kind of reduced automatically from these filters. Um, a modified camera, basically, they either remove that altogether and put just a window on there. So it's kind of like a luminance filter for monochrome where it lets all the light through. Or you can get like a modified version where it still blocks some of the light that the standard filter does, but it probably lets more of the red or H-alpha through. Um, so you'll find that if you have a modified camera or something like a 60DA or an RA from Canon, um, that filter is modified. So it's it has a filter that's general, but the when you get to the red, it has a little bit broader uh, band pass for H-alpha to pass through. So you can stack one of these multiband narrowbands on top of that and it'll still be effective, but it'll probably be more effective with a modified camera because the filter in front of the sensor isn't going to be cutting down more light because you basically have two filters stacked. You'd have the camera filter and then you'd have your multiband. So all the lights got to go through the multiband and that's got to pass through that filter again, flipping even more. So if you have a modified camera, like a full spectrum, it's just going through one filter, getting you all the light, and then it's just the standard UVIR below. So you're not cutting down anything from the upper um, multiband narrowband filter. But you can use it on unmodified. It just won't be as good as a dedicated camera or a modified camera. Uh, let's see. The price difference between 3 nanometer and 12 nanometer justifiable. Um, I think it is. My favorite filter, I think, for bandpass um, in H-alpha is 5 to 6 nanometers. You're getting some really good detail in there. The nice thing is when you get down to that 5 or 6 nanometer, um, it's cutting down enough light to where you can start imaging when the full moon is up. Um, if you're at 12 nanometer, yes, the price is a lot less, but you're letting a lot more light through. So you're going to get more interruption from some more light pollution. Um, you're not going to get as contrasty of a shot as you would on something narrower. Um, but it all comes down to budget. But I think if you could find something... I've been really happy with my Optolon 7 nanometer H-alpha. That's worked really nicely. Um, in our remote observatory, we have a five nanometer H-alpha in there. And then I personally, in one of my cameras, have a three nanometer H-alpha in the wheel. Um, there's a difference, but I think if I was going to spend the money, I'd look for something five, I think, is the best for the, the detail that you get versus the cost. But seven nanometers works just fine. But I personally wouldn't really mess with the 12 nanometers because you can get a seven nanometer which will do a lot better and be a lot more usable across a bright moon um, than the 12 will be, and it's not that big of a difference in price. But 3 is the ultimate, but I use 3 nanometers because I'm using it for live outreach imaging in town, so I need to make sure it cuts out the most light possible. And then another thing real quick is if when it, you have to pay attention to the band pass as the optics speed up. So a three nanometer filter cannot be used on something like a Rasa or a Hyperstar. 
the light cone is so steep on those optics that the filter will actually clip and it'll cause you to get what looks like reverse vignetting. So the center is gonna be dark and it's gonna be bright on the outside. That's the filter not working correctly. So you'd have to go with something broader. So there's a lot to consider and that's what our previous episode about imaging filters was about. We go into more of the science of understanding all of that tech. So you can always email us if you have questions too, but I think it's worth spending more money on something mid-range, like five, six, seven nanometers um, I personally wouldn't spend my money on 12s um, unless you're using a DSLR and you need more light. So uh, I've been doing Astro for six years. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know what the term one-shot color camera. Would this uh, include my ASI 224? Yes. Um, one-shot color cameras, it's basically a color camera. You take a picture, it's a color image. Um, so that's a one-shot color camera. Um, and ZWOs line up anything that says MC is a color camera. Anything that's MM is a monochrome camera. So, yep. I've seen some articles on the new Attila narrowband filters. Any chance Skywatcher would be, will be testing them with their OTAs? I'd love to get a set of Attila filters. Um, I've reached out to them and didn't really get much back on them, um, but they look nice. And the cool thing about them is they are, they can get fairly narrow. I think they go down to 3.5, which is interesting. And you can also get them pretty big. Um, I really like Optolong filters for the price. They're excellent. Um, but the problem is they only go up to about 50 millimeter round. Uh, I think all the, I don't know if they make unmounteds. I think they get two inch. Um, and a lot of the cameras that we're using on our test systems um, are big full frame chips. Like the 6200, 11,002s. 16200 and 16803 cameras are what we use primarily so um we need big filters so attila is really interesting because they're making those big unmounted filters uh where on the website can we find which filter to use for which object um i don't have a write-up for any of that at the moment so you just have to go back and watch this episode maybe one day when we have time to sit down and write up something uh, we can we can do something like that, but it, it might be a while. So, uh, next question: mono or color camera? Um, it really kind of depends on how much time you've got. Um, I know a lot of friends of mine. They're up in the the northeast coast, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. The weather is not always that great. Um, you might not have a lot of clear skies. But when you want to get out, it's a limited amount of time. So if you have a monochrome camera, completing a single image might take longer than the windows of time that you have. So a color camera can allow you to get out for one evening or a couple nights and complete a really nice image, especially today's standards. These, these new cameras with the IMX571 chips and the 455 chips, these really sensitive Sony chips coming out. You can get a lot done in a very limited amount of time um, with a color camera, especially if you're just out to take pretty pictures. A color camera is just fine nowadays. Uh, monochrome, I think, is the ultimate way to go. Um, it's giving you the most sensitivity. Um, you can really dig into the nighttime sky. You've got a lot more control over each channel. Um, so I favor the monochrome chips. 
I really like pulling out the detail and it is them side by side. If you had a color and a monochrome of the same camera, there's a difference. Um, but monochrome is going to take more time for you to build your final image. So with that being said, if you're limited on time, you don't have a lot of time to spend out or the weather's not great in your area, go with a color. Um, if you've got more time, I say go with a mono. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's one shot color if you don't have any time. Mono for Yeah, so that's where I sit on the whole mono versus color uh, debate there. I think the, the images look better with a mono camera, but there's a lot more that comes with the monochrome camera. And there's one big thing is there's a lot more expense that comes with it because you buy a monochrome camera, you then have to buy a filter wheel and then you have to load it with filters and the filters are going to cost money, especially if you're talking big chips. So, but hopefully that answered everybody's question. Um, this was a really good episode. I like doing filters. Um, if you guys have any other questions, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Just title it What's Up Webcast. Uh, if you like what you see here, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, if you missed it or you want to go back, this is recorded. It'll be up in about an hour or two. It takes time for it to load up. Uh, next week, our buddies from Star Arizona are going to be here talking about what they make and all the cool accessories they're doing. And hopefully we're going to be uh, announcing a new product that works on Skywatcher hardware. So... Uh, we hope to see you uh, next week. Uh, please be safe. Have a, a clear um, weekend. It's rainy here in Arizona, so that's pretty much shot. Um, but have a good weekend. Uh, stay healthy, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care, guys.